Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Just a reminder that you can find all of our brand new resource guides on our Teachers Pay Teachers account. So if you need to check that out, go to our Instagram and you can find the link there. Um, I thought we would have Morgan, who's your biggest fan, uh, run the question in the q and So cute. Oh my God. I feel like I'm talking to celebrities, but... <laughs> I told you she's a big fan. No, I, am. I love that. Stop, leave your address with her. No, please don't. <laughs> Claire, I actually know uh, Ellie. I Rizel or well Kaufman now. No, Ellie uh, Seiler. Oh, my sister. Oh, God. <laughs> I do. I went. To- I wasn't expecting that. Oh my gosh, yeah. how funny. So, yeah, I've I've like known about you because I went to middle school and then part of high school with her too. Gotcha. Oh my gosh. It's a small world. That's Toledo for you. Okay. So if you guys wouldn't mind just introducing yourselves um, and a little bit about your podcast. Awesome. I'll go first. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, So my name is Claire Barbeau. I am a speech therapist at um, UVA, University of Virginia now. Um, have been here for about two and a half years. So I work at a um, university clinic. So kind of like your guys's clinic um, on grounds or on campus. And I supervise students. And then I also have my own private practice where I see clients via telehealth, um, both from Ohio and from Virginia. And I'm Rachel Hensel. I am a speech pathologist up in Michigan. I uh, primarily work at a elementary school with kids kindergarten through fifth grade I have four self-contained rooms there so keep myself busy um also have a private practice where uh my main focus I would say is early intervention so that's when I get to play with my two-year-olds and roll around on the floor and do all the good play-based therapy um and then obviously I have the podcast with Claire and then I also sit on the board for a nonprofit called Communication is Key that works on getting AAC materials to SLPs, families, um, first responders, different things like that. So kind of numerous things that keep me busy. And this is our podcast. (laughs) Let's talk Um, about speech. (laughs) So you said, tell you a little bit about the podcast. So we started in um, 2020, which was kind of a crazy time to start, right? Because we all know we were like quarantining and doing the social distancing thing. Um, and also that's when Claire moved to Virginia. So I was in Michigan. Um, Claire had like just moved to Virginia. And I remember I texted her one day and I was like, 
Claire, I had this idea. We should do a podcast. It would be so fun. Like just tossing it out there. Like, wouldn't that be cool? And Claire was like, no, but we should do it. And I was like, oh, I don't really know how to do that, but we can figure it out. Um, and then it kind of like snowballed from there. I feel like it got kind of big, kind of quick because we had a lot of really awesome guests and different people on to talk about all sorts of things. And here we are three years later. (laughs) And we love it. It's our favorite hobby. I feel like I just posted about that. Like people ask me what my hobby is and I usually say podcasting with Rachel. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we absolutely love it. And I feel like we have learned and grown as SLPs from it because we're able to dive into subjects that we wouldn't necessarily know about or be involved with. So it's really helped us become like well-rounded SLPs, I think. And we've gotten to talk to so many cool people and um, share their ideas along the way. So that's been fun. So on the topic of um, having your special guests come in, what kind of things do you guys talk about? Or like, what are some of the guest speakers that you've brought in? Oh my gosh. There's so many. We have have so many. So our most recent um, podcast actually dropped today and she talked about multicultural and multilinguistic practices in SLP. And that was really cool to hear about because she gave a lot of really great resources when working with bilingual or multilingual families and clients Um, and just some education on exposure to different cultures and how to integrate that into therapy. So that was really cool. Um, one of my favorite guests we had, let me think about it. Rachel, do you have one? Cause I was going to share a favorite, but now I'm blanking. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I'll just share a couple. I mean, we, at this point, I think we've had close to probably in between 30 and 40, mm-hmm. um, different people. If you guys are on like the speech world and Instagram, we've had like Jenna Rayburn from the speech newsroom on, She talked all about books and how she incorporates those into different sessions. We've had people on to talk about um, beatboxing app that they've created and how that helps with articulation. Um, We just talked to someone that worked in a cleft palate and craniofacial clinic at the University of Michigan at Mott Children's Hospital. Um, We've had Jenna Castro-Casbon, who I don't know if you know about the independent clinician, but she kind of teaches SLPs how to take their um, experiences and put it into a private practice. Um, I mean, I could, we could we've, chat all yeah, we've evening also, about that. <laughs> yeah, we've also had like um, parents of children with special needs and children that are receiving speech, ther- speech services. So to hear about their experiences has been really cool. Um, And we also had a stroke survivor on one of our podcasts, which was really awesome. Um, And she is receiving speech therapy for dysarthria. So that was really cool to hear about her experiences, um, both post-stroke and then also going through speech therapy. Um, Yeah. So there's a lot of them. Yeah. I was going to say mine is the stroke survivor. That That was one of my faves. She's amazing. Yeah. So we have another question about, so we already covered like why the reasons are that you started the podcast. Um, do you guys have a favorite thing though about your podcast? Like a favorite like lesson that when you're starting, you're like, Oh my goodness. Like I didn't know this would happen from it. Yeah. So mine is, and I'm going to say it before Claire says it, because yep. I bet we have the same <laughs> one. Mine is like all of the people that we meet in mm-hmm. all of their like very unique 
job experiences and practices. Like I know, I feel like when I was in graduate school, like we know that the field of speech pathology is so great because you can do so many things, but then you get in the field and you start doing something like this and you talk to people where they have the exact same degree as you and their day-to-day job is so wildly different that Claire and I get off of these interview calls and we're like, oh my gosh, she's so smart or she's doing so many cool things. And it just really puts into perspective like how diverse our field is and how many different things you can do. And I feel like my biggest takeaway takeaway from the podcast is just constantly learning. Yeah. And piggybacking off of that, because that was what I was going to say, Rachel, (laughs) but also um, just how incredibly passionate everybody that we've talked to is truly after every single interview. um, Yeah. We say like, they're so smart. They know so much, but we also are like, they love what they do so much. It's insane. And it's just really cool to know that I have not met an SLP that isn't passionate about what they do. I truly haven't. Um, Mm -hmm. And everyone that comes on the podcast is always so willing to share their information and help other SLPs or help undergrads or graduates um, expand their knowledge base. And I just think that's so cool. We're a part of such an incredible community. Yeah. So they actually have an episode on their podcast about graduate school, um, different types of school. Highly recommend listening to that. Um, really does well, put my anxiety to an ease about grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, not me just promoting, but definitely check that out. But on the top, <laughs> on the topic of grad school, you guys should both- we be paying you? <laughs> right. <laughs> on the topic of grad school, you guys both went to Toledo for undergrad too. I went for um, undergrad and grad, but not Rachel. Yeah, I went to Central Michigan for undergrad and then UT for grad. Okay. Oh, okay. Perfect. So um, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to a new SLP student um, that's in grad school or um, in undergrad? Right now, we only have undergrads in here. Um, We have a few people that are graduating that'll be grad students, but Mm -hmm. what's one piece of advice that you could could give to all of us? Oh my gosh. I love that question. Go ahead. (laughs) Um, so I guess I kind of love that you're all undergrads because of what I'm going to say, because I know the process of applying for graduate school is insane. And I don't even know if the GREs are required. Is that required still? You know, that, that was a experience, um, but it's not for Toledo. Yeah. Oh. Okay, great news. <laughs> so happy to hear that. But I was just going to say the whole um, like process of applying to different schools and all of that, I guess if my, if I had to give one piece of advice is to really think about what you want your future to be and don't apply to schools just to get in somewhere. Um, I feel like that is a mistake that I heard from a lot of my friends from undergrad that, you know, we all split up and went to different graduate schools and they were just applying because right? It's hard to get in and they're, they don't want a gap year or whatever it may be. Um, I think it's really great to look into the programs and see, you know, what their interests are or what their focus is and what programs they can offer you. Um, because I know that is such a stressful time. Yeah. Yeah. My piece of advice would be <laughs> to just stay open-minded. 
Um, I feel like 90% of my first year graduate students that come into our clinic um, and are having their first clinical experiences are like, I want to work with kids. I want to be in pediatric settings. I want to work, you know, in a very specific field. And that's, that's great. Um, I know it's a lot easier to gain experiences in pediatrics before you're actually in your clinical experiences. So it makes sense. Um, but don't close yourself off from all the opportunities that our field has. There are so many different places that you can work um, and with different areas and ages. So I think you'll surprise yourself and be open to something that you haven't tried before. Um, I always thought I would work with kids. I was one of those people that went in wanting to work with kids. And now I'm primarily with adults and I absolutely love it. Um, so you just, you'll surprise yourself. And that's what's fun about it. So, my gosh, that's so exciting. <laughs> um, so, Claire, I know that your infant was stuttering. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about that, about your interests, like who you yeah. with age populations? And yeah. <clears throat> so, um, I primarily work with, well, it's like school age to adult that I work with right now. Um, but I got my interest or my interest peaked in graduate school with Rachel. We both were in, um, the intensive stuttering program with Dr. Gobble when he was there and that really started my interest. And then, um, I just kind of ran with it. I worked with him for a little while when he was still in Ohio, um, at his private practice. And then when he went off to New York and I went off to Virginia, um, he let me have the Ohio uh, referrals, which was awesome. So I get the referrals for telepractice for some of those fluency clients. And I just absolutely love it. I think it's such, um, unfortunately, it's it's not as well known or researched as some of the other areas in our field, um, but it's expanding so much. Even in the past two years, there's so much more known about stuttering and about how it's not all about the disfluencies. And there's so much of that counseling piece that goes into it. And I think that's what I really love um, because when you're working with someone who stutters, you're looking at the impact that their stuttering has on their life in society with their friends and family. You're not only looking at the behaviors. Um, and I could go on and on about it. And Rachel knows that she'll have to stop me. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's opened my experiences to a lot. Um, I've spoken at a couple conferences about it. I am very passionate about that area. And it's, again, I think a niche that is really needed for more people to be educated on because there's, there's still a lot of SLPs that don't feel comfortable treating that area. And I think it's important, like what you said about being open-minded because mm -hmm. like, not that you probably didn't have an interest, but going into grad school, you, like, I had oh, no okay. idea. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, graduate school, you have to learn so much, like your brain is just we used to say, remember, Rachel, our friends, our friend group had a, a quote in grad school. We used to say, our brain is a bucket and my bucket is full. And we would like, yeah. <laughs> it was just a Too thing. Much. Anyway, overflowing. Um, but yeah, your brain is just over, overflowing with knowledge. So it's, it's hard to gain access to everything. Um, and stuttering is only one class and it's really short. I know my graduate students, they take literally four weeks on stuttering. Granted, they have it every day, but it's a really short course. So they're not getting that much. Um, so I think kind of going off of being open-minded, also taking initiative to learn about things that interest you. So if you are interested in something like fluency, that's a lower incidence disorder area, 
looking deeper into that, asking questions from people you know that are educated in that area, because graduate school doesn't always, I mean, you're as prepared as you can be, but it doesn't teach you absolutely everything. You learn a lot by doing. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm a little nervous for grad school, but. <laughs> as you should I'm be. Thinking. Nerves, nerves <laughs> will propel you forward. No, nerves are good. <laughs> so I know, Rachel, you talked about um, your interest was early intervention. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, as far as like how I got started with that, um, my first year at in the school district, so my CF year, I was split between an elementary school and a preschool. And at the preschool, I only did drop-in evaluations. So um, if anyone lived in our district, they and they had a child with speech concerns that was two to school age so usually four because they start at five um they could come in for an evaluation it was kind of like a very quick thing so I guess that's how I got my my feet in that water to start um but then when I started my own practice three years ago um the clients that I kept getting were young they were two they were one and a half and they had no words they had no sounds um and my practice really built up from that and everyone that I see in that practice is two three or four I think the oldest that I have is six um so I love being able to do that it's so wildly different than what I do at the elementary school right like you're on the floor you're on their level everything is play-based you're not like sitting at a table doing like drill articulation words um so yeah that's really different and then I guess another interest that has sprouted because of the podcast is um, an interest in AAC. And that was because of an episode that Claire had mentioned. We had parents on and we asked them all like the same five questions on their experiences with um, their child being in speech therapy and how their family's been involved and, you know, like what diagnoses um, their children have and through that process, I met a mom um, in Michigan that had a son that was using an AAC device. And she was like, I'm part of this nonprofit. I would love to touch base with you. And that kind of snowballed from there. Um, and like I said earlier, I sit on the board of that nonprofit now. Um, so I never thought that AAC was something that I would be like so into now, um, but it definitely is. I've worked really hard um, to get like five or six surrounding cities to work with their first responders to make sure they have materials so that if they come into contact with someone who's nonverbal, whether that's a child or an adult, right, like post-stroke, TBI, mm -hmm. smoke inhalation, and they can't speak, um, or it is a child, that they can, you know, they have those materials. Um, and that also address sensory needs, uh, weighted lap pads, noise canceling headphones, fidgets, stuff like that. So um, I guess I have the podcast to thank for that because I don't think that's really a path that I would have pursued had I not been connected with that mom. Yeah. That's awesome. And Claire, do you have any experiences like from your podcast that, you know, has helped shape you to look at something different as an SLP? Yeah. I mean, I think the one that I think of off the top of my head is, um, we 
we did a couple episodes. Um, I think we did an interview, Rachel, and then we did like a follow-up episode on childhood apraxia of speech. And that was an area that I felt so uncomfortable with. Like I had no idea how to diagnose it. I'm sorry, but I don't even remember learning about it in grad school. Like I felt like it was in the back of my head, but I, I didn't know how to see it or what to do if, if a child came to me and had apraxia of speech. Um, so I think after that first episode that we did, I really dove into some of the research and was, was very interested in it. Um, and it also overlaps with treating, um, adults who have apraxia of speech. Obviously it's different and from different re- for different reasons, but there is a lot of overlap in the treatment for it, which I thought was really cool. Cause I, I actually had an adult post-stroke and a child that I was treating both for apraxia at the same time. Um, so it was just really, it was really cool. And it was really interesting to hear about differential diagnosis between articulation, phonology and, um, childhood apraxia of speech, because that's a piece too, that is like so wild. And there are so many pieces that go into it. Um, but it's just so interesting. I'm interested in it all. It's, it's That's a really good one. episode. It we is. had a really good guest for that. So who was, who was the guest, Rachel? Um, I know. I know. Amy I Graham. Amy Graham. That's who it Amy was. Graham. She's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. No, I think that's super exciting. Just like having different guests on, mm-hmm. um, and to like give their perspective. Um, it's also nice, like as an undergrad student, like just to hear like all the different possibilities that you can go into with speech. Yeah. Um, I mean, like primarily it's, you know, kids and then older adults, but to hear like so many intricate like parts that you guys work with, um, that was definitely eye-opening to me. Yeah. But so I actually have this question. It's for somebody who has a media minor or I think she has a communication minor. She is not here today. Um. So she said, if you had known in the past you were going to run a podcast, would you have done anything differently with your plan of study or your plan of action? It's a great question. Yeah, that is a great <laughs> question. Um, I think it's it's funny because um, when I was in high school, I had, a te- I had an English teacher, and I so vividly remember this, that told me I should go into broadcasting. And I was like, oh, me? Wow. Okay. And so, so I was really into broadcasting there for a little while. Um, I went into college undecided, so I never declared it a major, but I looked into it. Um, and honestly, maybe I should have gotten a minor. <laughs> that's probably not the answer you're looking for. But, um, but that's what it reminds me of. It's kind of a hard question. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think just, you know, some of the, um, I, I wouldn't say training, but like some of the things we do as far as like questioning and being open, like conversationalists with people. Um, I don't know if I would do it differently, like train for that, but I think that's something running a podcast that you have to be prepared for. And mm-hmm. also on the other side, business, it, it is a business. Um, we do have a lot of business things that we attend to. Um, we make content, we have an email, we have a schedule, like there's a lot of business type elements to it. So I do wish that, um, I had taken some sort of business course cause I took nothing in business. I had no idea. And private practice, there's even more so because we're dealing with money and we're dealing with mm-hmm. charging and late fees and, um, contracts and all these things. So um, that's a huge side of it that I think I never thought of in graduate school, even until I 
Rachel and I started the podcast and we both started our own private practices. Um, Mm -hmm. but there are people to help you with that. There's, there's groups out there that, you know, lay it out really well for you if you are interested in something like that. Um, but we're not business people by nature. We're helping people. And those, I think we've learned that's very different. It's really hard to be a businesswoman and also want to help every single person. Um, Mm -hmm. it's hard. It's a hard balance. And I do also want to say from, from that first experience that I told you, like, Hey, Claire, we should do a podcast to recording our first podcast was like maybe two weeks. Like there was not a lot of thought. We were like, let's do it. What's the name? We like tacos. Here we go. It's a fun pun. We made a logo. Now we're doing it. So like maybe we could have had more thought going into it, but there was nothing really like detrimental about the way that we did it. Just like we got thrown into this world and we were like, oh, we need to keep doing this. How do we maintain it? Yeah. That's awesome. Do you guys feel like with COVID, um, not that it was like easier to come up with topics, but do you guys notice different things during COVID that you've had to adapt to? And then you're like, this is something that everyone should know about. And, or did you feel like topics were hard to come up with or now? Yeah. So I, I feel like topics have, we've, I feel like we've both been waiting for there to be like a lull or like mm-hmm. for us to be scrambling to find a topic. And it's honestly never really happened. Um, we've mm-hmm. been really, really lucky in the fact um, that I think Instagram being on Instagram has opened up our world to a lot of SLPs on there who reach out to us. We, we don't really have to reach out a lot to others. Um, mm-hmm. Again, we're lucky. We we've gotten a lot of people just from, you know, someone telling someone about our podcast or them finding us on Instagram Um, so topics, I really don't think have, have been hard. I do think that the topic of telepractice has been a big topic since COVID. And we talk about telepractice a lot and it's really interesting, Mm -hmm. um, because it's integrated into all of the subjects we talk about. It's usually part of our question, like, Hey, what did you do during COVID? Or how do you Mm -hmm. adapt this to telepractice? Because that is our world now, even though it started during COVID, a lot of telepractice is continuing on as an option for people. Um, so that's been really cool to see uh, just from a global SLP viewpoint um, mm-hmm. of that changing within our field. I feel like if anything, it kind of um, like propelled us into the podcast because in the beginning, um, if you go like all the way back to 2020 episodes, we had um, someone that started up making uh face masks with a clear window we had um we worked with a company called shield pals that made face masks with like cute little animals on them um if you guys follow play spark on instagram they're really big in the speech world they actually started out as a green screen company for slps occupational therapists whoever it may be and they made green screens and um like different felt things to go with them because there was this huge and kind of very abrupt transition to teletherapy and now they've like completely morphed into like advocacy apparel um so I think a lot of people because they started during the pandemic like we did and we've had them on the show they're great people um but a lot of people I feel like they're like we have this extra time this is an interest how can we do it they did it and then I feel like you know, it's been three years since then and has just continued to evolve. 
Yeah, that's something definitely that um, I noticed as an undergrad with a client working with a grad student is they have a lot of teletherapy. Um, mm -hmm. And I've always like heard about it, but to see it in action, um, you're still trying to get that same message across. Um, mm -hmm. But to like see it in person, but to also then hear about it, I think that's like really important. Because mm -hmm. um, you never know when something like this may happen again. But mm -hmm. So I'm going to open it up. If anybody has any questions that are here, um, if not, I'll ask like our final question um, that we have. But does anybody have like anything that they want to ask them? I know we took questions in the beginning um, a few weeks ago or last week. I'll ask one question. I don't know if you can. Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things that I've kind of been nervous about, so my freshman year coming into college was COVID. So I haven't mm -hmm. really, like going into college, I knew that telehealth was a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously COVID is something that could come back or a pandemic or something like that. And mm -hmm. telehealth therapy kind of scares me. What are like the main struggles that you've had? And like, what are the ways that you've had to like overcome doing telehealth versus like in person? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, I feel like the biggest struggle that I had, um, and I was kind of in a unique situation that my school is in a very low income, high poverty area. So we really struggled with um, just accessibility to devices. I know that may not be the case um, in your situation, but if we could get someone logged on, right, whether that's like using a parent's phone or whatever it may be, then your next struggle becomes holding that attention, right? It's not as easy, right? When you're staring at someone through the computer and you're like, pay attention right here versus you're in the room with them and you have like engaging toys or a, a tangible prize that they can see. So I, I feel like the biggest struggle that I had was holding that engagement. And honestly, that just came... Um, with experience and research, right? Like looking to see what can make, ooh, what can make um, something like that engaging. Um, so we actually have a couple teletherapy um, episodes. And if you listen to those, we talk about um, like look up zoo cameras, like find out their interests and go on the NBA website, right? Like we can find words on that website with your sound in them, or we can watch an NBA, you know, YouTube video, and then I can ask you WH questions about it, or I can have you sequence events, what happened first, next, and then. Um, so I feel like that definitely built the, you know, the more that I did it, but it's for sure a struggle. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> um, I, I think that telepractice or telehealth, um, is not for everyone. I think that, especially now that clients and patients have the option, um, I think being in person as much as you can is great, but I do think that telepractice opens up the doors to so much, um, to treating so many more people. Um, again, for example, I, I treat all of, yeah, nine out of 10 of my private clients are in Ohio. And I'm able to treat them because I'm, I'm still licensed in Ohio. 
Um, but I'm able to treat them because of telepractice. And I think that's so cool because they have struggled to find somebody who specializes in stuttering. And so without that telepractice feature, they would feel, continue to feel lost or continue to feel like they didn't know kind of who to turn to. Um, but it, it really does depend on the client. I agree with Rachel. Like some of these kids don't hold attention very well. Um, I've found a lot of success with incorporating parents, but you don't always have parents that are easily accessible or willing to help engage the client or child in whatever therapy activity you have. Um, but I have found some really great sessions through incorporating the parent in way more parent coaching than you would ever get from an individual mm -hmm. session because the parent is there all the time. Um, and using their environment is really exciting too. So I often won't even have tabs open anymore. I used to a lot and I still do now and then, but lately I've been using their environment. So like, Oh, show me your kitchen. Like let's, let's do some things with the cooking utensils or talk about the cooking utensils. Um, tell a story with some of the books that you have, show me your favorite toy, um, explain it to me, you know, things that they are tangible to them and important to them and really motivate them to stay engaged. So that's, that's really cool is if you can get to that point. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about it is that most kids, especially are used to telepractice now because they've had to encounter it at some point or another, um, either with COVID or with some other appointment. And so they do really well with it, surprisingly, some of them, but they're not as like when it first, when COVID first happened, we were trying to transition onto telepractice and kids had no idea where to look and they were running around and they didn't understand that there was somebody actually talking to them. That was real. Um, or you're it, muted, right? The mute that like all that crazy stuff. Um, it's gotten so much better and they're used to it. So it's not a super uncomfortable thing. Like it was in the beginning of the pandemic, um, it's more comfortable than it was. So I, I think that helps if, if needed, but yeah. And the last thing I'll say for that is um, making sure you build that relationship and that's in anything, whether it's telepractice or in-person is making sure you establish that rapport. And I know I've said this on an episode or two, but you know, when you get out of your CFE and you're an SLP and you're expected to bill for, you know, like insurance reimbursement, I have never had a claim turned down if I just write established report. And if that takes numerous sessions, it takes numerous sessions and it is what it is, but you're never going to be able to meet them where they're at to start making gains on their deficits if you don't have their report. Mm -hmm. I did have one more question, um, kind of directed towards Claire. Sorry, Rachel. Um, no, you're right. <laughs> so obviously you started out with having an Ohio license. Mm -hmm. What was the process, and like the struggles that happened when you had to switch to another state's licensure? I just had to pay the fee. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, yeah. And well, so also Ohio, I think had to sign that I was like in good standing with them. Um, but yeah, it's not, it was not a hard process at all. There's no like test you need to retake. Um, I, I don't, I can't say for sure on every state, but there was no like additional CEUs I had to take. Um, that was different than Ohio. It's just a different cycle. So Virginia is every year and Ohio is every two. So I have to keep up on that. That's a little hard. Um, but yeah, it was a really, a really smooth transition. I know licensing is sometimes 
a really complicated, daunting task, but um, I have found that just asking questions to the board, like I, when I knew I had to apply in Virginia, um, I just sent an email to them and openly asked, like I'm licensed in Ohio, what do I need to do? And everybody's always willing to help. That's the same with Asha. Asha is really responsive to any questions you may have about, you know, your CF year licensing, being a graduate student and being supervised, all of that stuff. Um, you're very, very supported and protected. I was going to say the same thing for Asha. Um, when you guys do become Asha members, you get a card and there's a members only number on it. And when you call it, they'll ask for your number and you can type it in. But I call all the time. I'm department head um, for all of the SLPs in my district. And if they come to me with a question, um, I mean, I feel so I have such a like peace of mind speaking to someone from ASHA telling me versus like sending an email waiting. Am I going to hear? Because you can call and they will direct you to like their school division or their medical division or whatever it may be. Or They're super ethics. Helpful. Like the yeah. ethics stuff is really good to call about. If you're not sure, you should call them. If you're not sure on a decision you're making or something, somebody's asking you to do something you're not sure is ethical. Um, yeah. Openly talking to Asha, I think is always really, really helpful. Hmm. That's really cool. I didn't, I didn't know you could just call Asha. Like that's really <laughs> They they might not answer on the first ring, but they'll call you back. Yeah, they will <laughs> call had, you back. Yeah, I've had to leave a message before, but they always call you back, which is really nice. Oh, I didn't yeah. even... Go Asha. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so our final question, since you guys did go here for grad school, um, can you guys name your favorite thing about grad school at Toledo? Like, what's one thing... I know. <laughs> I can't just name one. What do you At mean? At first, when you said name something, I thought it was going to be like quiz style. And did you see my face? I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, well, I am a diehard Toledo fan because I grew up in Toledo. I went to my undergrad. My family all still goes or lives in Toledo. My parents both went to Toledo. I'm like diehard. So where do I begin? <laughs> um, no, just kidding. I'll I'll just do one. I really, really appreciated the faculty and the supervisors at Toledo. I felt really, um, I felt really supported. I felt like um, they were also real with us. Like I felt like a lot of our supervisors didn't just, you know, go through the motions and quiz us all the time and make us know these things. They, they taught us why we were doing them and why it was important. Um, I think from the time that I graduated, I put like function and effective communication at the top of my goal list. Like it always comes down to uh, our clients being effective communicators. Um, and how is that going to function in their everyday life? And that's really our why we're doing it so that they can be successful and feel good about themselves. And um, that really started with our education and, you know, the the faculty putting that as a priority. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to piggyback off of that also. And I feel like one way you can tell that we really mean that is after we graduated, Claire and I both supervised for um, graduate students in the stuttering clinic for um, a couple of years. And we then became colleagues with some of those people that were supervisors to us. And I don't think either of us would have put ourselves in that position if we didn't mean exactly what Claire said. And I guess I will add to that and that the um, bond that you form with your um, 
colleagues in graduate school, right? Like the other people that are in your cohort is so important. Um, so many of those people are my friends. I met Claire in grad school um, and we're a lot of years past that. Not that many, but several. Um, a good chunk now. Yeah. Though, like. <laughs> and I just like, you don't realize it when you're in the thick of it, but those really are the people that you're relying on and you see a lot of them and you build you know, really good relationships with them. So that's definitely something that I would say I cherish from that also. Definitely. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I can definitely say the same thing about faculty as an undergrad. Yeah. Um, Anything that I've needed or like even something I'm so struggling with, um, how you said they're real. I remember I walked into one professor's office and I said, well, not like this, but I basically had no idea what was going on. And um, they walked me through it totally yeah. different way. Um, and I wasn't the type of person to ask that question um, in class. I explained that to them and they that's when they told me, you know, you need to ask it. Yeah. So they yeah. were very real with me. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Toledo is um, a great school for both undergrad and grad. So you guys are lucky. Yeah, so we actually just started a new AAP program. Oh, um, it was an automatic acceptance program. Um, so if you do your undergrad at Toledo and you meet uh, a few requirements, um, have good standing, you have a spot at graduate school in Toledo. I know. Wow, that could have saved me so much stress. No <laughs> said cast. So if people know that they our students know that they want to go to Toledo. Mm -hmm. um, that just started last spring, fall, or this cool. year. Shout out to you guys. That's amazing. Yeah. How how big is your guys' grad class now, or graduate student class? Like, how many graduate students do you guys typically take? Do you know? We have 32 this year. 32. Okay, that's mm -hmm. a good number. Yeah. I We had a big class, didn't we, Rachel? We had, like, almost 40, mm -hmm. didn't we? Am I crazy? Yeah, because then we get, well... We ended up in four different cohorts. I yeah, think, they split so. us into four. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty big. I think. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yeah, maybe sure. it didn't work out that well. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but there being so many of us, it's hard. It's hard to have a lot of grad students. Like I'm seeing that now from the other side because you know you you guys all need your clinical experiences and yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, getting them place exactly and placements like that's really hard. Sorry, I'm just looking over. Um, so yeah, we don't have any more questions. That's um, okay. But we want to thank you guys for both logging on. Yeah. Just, check out their podcast. Like literally when you're driving, I'm not even kidding. Just do it. <laughs> do it one time. We appreciate you so much for advertising for us. We really I'm not even, and I like stumbled upon your page. I'm not even going to lie. It was like, you know how Instagram listens to you? Yeah. <laughs> that's sure what happened. Does. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. You can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech or on my website, speechissupersweet.com. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or on Facebook on kindly speech. And then you can email Rachel and I, if you have any questions or concerns, we are let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thanks.